Hey, good morning. I'm Matt. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's uh, good to be with everybody today. And uh, I love the fact that the band was wearing purple um, to kind of be part of Team Katie this morning. And um, so this morning, uh, we're going to continue our sermon series on dollars and cents. And um, so if you missed last week, let me catch you up to speed uh, real quick here. Um, first of all, this is a series basically about finding financial freedom and finding financial peace. And, um, you know, we, we're going to talk about this um, this morning, and uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about Katie um, and some things in her life kind of in the middle of this, and so it may feel strange to kind of mourn and grieve and celebrate and all the stuff going on with Katie. Um, but interestingly enough, as I was thinking about Chad, if you know Chad, and he and I have been dear friends for, um, gosh, probably 13 years now. Um, it's going to sound weird, but like Chad was a spreadsheet budget kind of guy, you know what I mean? And it's, this is very odd, but I feel like in continuing this series, uh, it's sort of honoring to Chad because he's all about that kind of stuff. And so, um, but I would encourage you to um, be a part of the, um, the memorial service this afternoon at Winfield High at four o'clock. Um, but we're going to talk a little bit about financial freedom and financial peace this morning. And, um, you know, basically what this is, is we're talking about principles that God gives us to live our lives in such a way that we have financial peace, that we have financial freedom, that we're not stressed and burdened by it. And it's a message series that really applies to everyone. Like, even if you're here and you're in high school or you're in college and you don't really make a whole lot of money, this applies to you because the best time to get started on following God's principles is at the very beginning. There's so many people that get far down the road and, and end up in all kinds of weird places and problematic places financially because they didn't start it when they're young. And so if you don't even earn an income yet, now is a good time to put these in place for that time when you do earn an income. Some of you this morning, you are in a great spot financially in terms of you have financial peace, you have financial freedom, and the reason that you're there is because you have followed these principles from God's Word. Whether you knew they were from God's Word or not, you followed these principles, and that's why you're in a good place financially. But for some of you, you're not in a great place. Maybe you're in debt that continues to pile up. Maybe you have stress every day about money. Maybe you're in a place where you're constantly arguing with your husband or your wife or your family about money, and it's just this constant stress, this constant anxiety, and you're trying to figure out what bill do we pay first, and how do we do this, and, and there's stress involved with your life because of finances. And if you're in that spot, you're there because you have violated one of these, or more probably, of these principles that God gives us from his word about how to have financial peace and how to have financial freedom in our lives. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at a principle each week. So last week, if you were here, the principle that we looked at was this, is tell your money what to do. Tell your money what to do. This is about being intentional with a plan about how to spend the money that God has entrusted to you. And if you were here last week, I gave this challenge. I said, for one week, keep track of where every dollar goes. Keep track of where every dollar goes so that you have an idea of where your money is actually going. And then the next step is to actually tell your money where to go. And I had an interesting conversation with my son uh, this past 
last Sunday after church. And so on Sunday afternoon, he asks me, he says, Dad, can you pitch in 50, or can you go halvesies with me on a video game? There's a video game called FIFA 2018 that I want to buy. Will you go halves with me? And I think he asked me at a bad day because, uh, and I said no, uh, partially because I'd just done a sermon on money. I was like, no, I'm not doing that. You don't need that, kid. Um, and the other is that he had just dropped 25 bucks on lunch after church. I'm like, 25 bucks? I mean, I realize you're in high school and you eat a ton, but that's way too much money to spend on lunch. Like, at least take a coupon or something or a discount place. But he didn't. So I, I, said, I said no. Um, but then I talked to him about it a little bit more. I said, but buddy, I think it'd be great if you spent your own money on that. It's 60 bucks. And I think that's 60 bucks well spent. You can play it online with your friends. You got to have 18 to play with your friends online and you'll do that and it'll be fun. And spend the $60 on it. That'll be a great choice. And then he goes, I wonder if Ryle will pitch in 10 bucks for it. So he calls his, buddy, his brother Ryle and says, can you pitch in 10 bucks? But here's the thing about that. And I share this as far as tell your money what to do. It's this idea of being intentional about where to spend money. And he really thought about it, about whether he wanted to buy this game or not, because, you know, he had just spent 25 bucks on lunch, and that was kind of probably frivolous spending because now he's hungry, you know, two hours later, right? Um, but the other thing that he's got going is he's saving money for a car. So he's 15, right? And so, uh, and we have a deal that for every uh, dollar that he puts towards the car, we will match that, and then my mom and dad will match that also. So $60 for a FIFA game is $180 towards a car, right? It's like, and so he was weighing that as far as do I want to spend this money? And like I said, I encourage him to buy it. I think it's worth it. You'll have fun playing it, you know, over this next year. <clears throat> but what I wanted him to understand and what I want us to understand is be intentional about how you spend money. That's what it means to tell your money what to do. Be intentional. Don't just be impulsive like, oh, here's an opportunity. I'll spend money. Be intentional about how we spend our money. That's a principle from God's word. So let's pray as we look into the second principle this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you uh, for the time of worship and how just healing that was for me. Um, and Lord, as we look into your word, um, and there's so much going on in life, um, and you talk about finances and money and all that type of thing in the Bible because we interact with it every day. And I pray, Father, that we would see in your words of Scripture the things that you want us to know and understand this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be, for the most part, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you want to open up your Bible to that chapter. We'll be a couple places before that. If you don't have a paper Bible, uh, you can open it up on the app, and it'll take you to a Bible. You can go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and if you don't have either of those, uh, it'll be on the screen behind me. But last week, we looked at a verse that said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the thing about that verse is it says, wherever our heart is, that's where our treasure will be. And as, if we look at our lives, if we experience stress about money, that says something about our hearts. Because where our treasure is, where our money is, our hearts are there also. And so if we're experiencing some angst and stress about money, and our hearts are, that says something about our heart. It says that something isn't quite right 
about our hearts. Not saying that we're cold-hearted or that we don't have salvation or anything like that, but it's just saying that there's something not quite right about our hearts if we're anxious about money because our hearts and our money are in the same place. And our hearts, there's something not right about our hearts, and it comes from the culture around us. There's a very pervasive kind of myth or lie that the culture gives to us that I think we buy into without even realizing that we buy into this lie that the culture gives us. And I want to read you just a couple of statements and see if you can figure out what the lie is, what it is that this culture around us is trying to sell us. And it's not, some of these are about money, some of these are not about money. A high schooler heads to college and begins to party when he or she never did before. Family goes on a vacation, puts it on a credit card that they can't pay off at the end of the month. A mom puts her children in every possible activity and runs herself ragged, getting the kids to here, there, and everywhere. A man, woman, teenager, elementary school kid trades in a perfectly working cell phone for one with a higher number, a bigger screen, or something better involved with the phone. Right? All of those things have at the core the same element. And the same element, and this is what the culture sells us, it's the fear of missing out. It's the fear of missing out. If you think about pretty much any commercial that you see, what they're playing on is if you don't get this product, then you are going to miss out. If you don't have this minivan with its features and gadgets and safety and all this, then you're going to miss out. If you don't buy this detergent brand, then your clothes are going to miss out on being as clean as they possibly can. If you don't take this vacation, your family's not going to have as much fun. If you don't drink this beer, you're not going to attract attractive women. You know, it's all these things about, like, here's what it's like, right? You got to get this or else you're going to miss out. If you don't buy these clothes from this store, you're not going to look good today, right? And they play on us of the fear of missing out. But this fear of missing out, it didn't start with our culture. It started thousands of years ago with Adam and Eve. And I want to take a brief look at part of the story of Adam and Eve. So at this point in life, they're enjoying fellowship with one another. They're enjoying fellowship with God. They have all that they need to make life make sense. They have all that they need to be content with life. And God says to them, you can enjoy all of the garden of Eden, anything you want. But one thing you may not do is you may not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, don't eat or you will surely die. And so then along comes Satan and says this beginning in verse 4. This is chapter 3 of Genesis. It says, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So the serpent, that's um, Satan incarnate is the serpent. says, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. That if you eat of this fruit, you can be just like God. You can know good from evil. You can have some of these characteristics that God has. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. It says that the food was good. It says the food was a delight to the eyes. 
It was desired because it would make one person, it would make a person wise. He said, if you don't eat this, then you're going to miss out on being like God. You're going to miss out. He was instilling that fear of missing out. And so Adam and Eve believed the lie, and they ate the fruit so that they wouldn't miss out, and it ruined everything for them. And you see, it's that same fear of missing out that causes us to make a lot of these decisions in our lives that lead to discontentment. You see, if you don't go to a college party, you're going to miss out. If you don't go on this really nice vacation, you're going to miss out. If your kids aren't involved in every activity under the sun, they're going to miss out. If you don't upgrade your phone to the latest and greatest, you're going to miss out. If you don't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to miss out. And so we, like Adam and Eve, buy into this lie that if we don't, then we're going to miss out. So what's the solution? Part of it is recognizing it, but how do we get past that? How do we get past this fear that we have of missing out? This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. He writes this. He says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Paul says, I've learned to be content. Learn to be content with life. Contentment is the opposite of the fear of missing out. He says, I've learned how to do that. We're going to look over at 1 Timothy chapter 6. And what Paul does in 1 Timothy chapter 6 is he talks about contentment for an extended set of verses that he writes. And he talks about contentment in a way that's totally wrapped around with financial contentment. He's talking specifically about how do we be content financially with what we have. And he says this, beginning in verse 6. He says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We might change it just a little bit to use the verbiage we've used in this sermon series. But godliness with contentment brings financial peace. Godliness with contentment brings financial freedom. And so here's the principle that we're going to talk about today, is learn to be financially content. Learn to be financially content. Or it may be better said, learn to be materially content. Now, I want to point out the words that I put there very specifically and very intentionally. Is It's learn to be financially content. It's not be financially content. In other words, it's a process that we're going to go through to get us there. Even as you look at what Paul said in Philippians, he doesn't say, I am content, or I've always been content in whatever situation. He says, I have learned to be content. It's a process. And I tell you, one of the things that I love about River Ridge Church is that we are all people who are in process. That there's not this expectation that as soon as you walk out the doors this morning, man, you need to be content or get your life together. But we walk through this process, and it's a step-by-step process that we walk through to learn to be content with what we have financially and not yearn and pine for something more. Think, if I had this, I'd be happier. I'd be better off. We learn to be content. We're going to talk about what some of those steps are this morning. Here's the first one. Is evaluate your heart. 
Just evaluate your heart. Where are you when it comes to contentment? How content do you feel about where you're at financially, where you're at materially, what the things and the stuff that you have in your life are? Evaluate your heart. How many of you watch the TV show The Voice? Raise your hand if you watch The Voice. Okay, a few of you watch The Voice. So I don't, I've never watched a whole episode of The Voice, but there's parts of The Voice, especially the audition aspects, uh, that, I've, that I've watched parts of the show. But basically The Voice is, there are these people who are great singers, and they sing on this stage, and there's judges, and the judges are facing away from the singer. So all they hear is their voice. And then each of these four judges, or I guess kind of team captains really, if they want to get somebody on their team, then they hit a, a button or a buzzer kind of thing on their chair, and then their chair spins around, and they can look and see who's singing, right? And so what I like about this show, or the parts of this show that I have watched, is that uh, you see the four judges, the four captains of these teams, the coaches, and they're facing away, and then they hear somebody sing behind them. And sometimes somebody has an amazing voice, and all four judges go bang, 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 and they all turn around, and then they all try and draft the man or woman onto their team. They convince them to be on their team so they can win this competition. Um, but the other thing that happens, and this is what I like, is that there's the person there, they're sitting there with the buzzer, the button, and, and you can see on their face like, do I want to hit the button? Do I want them on my team? Especially it gets down to sort of the later in the audition shows where they maybe only have one spot left and they, do they want to take this one? Can they help this person sing better and, and all that kind of stuff? And so there's just this like the tension and probably the TV cameras build it up a lot bigger. Like, are they going to push the button or not? Are they going to push the button or not? I'm like, commercial break. I'm, oh, I got to come back, right? You know, but that's the tension. Like, do I push the button or do I not push the button? So here's my question. Here's my will you push the button question or would you push the button question. Sitting right where you are, if you had a button in front of you and you could be 100% content materially and financially with what you have. But in order to do that, you have to reduce your income by 50%. Would you hit the button? 100% content, materially, financially. And when you hit that button, you have 100% contentment, but your income automatically cuts in half. Would you push the button or not? Now, you don't have to answer out loud. It might be a great thing to toss around with your home group or your ridge group this week uh, to talk about it. But it. And I'm not looking for an answer, and you probably don't even know, but what I want you to do is wrestle with that question. Because I think wrestling with that question helps us evaluate our hearts. Where am I really with contentment? Would I hit that button or would I not hit that button? It goes on to the next step, verse 7. It says, For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. Saying that Nothing that we acquire in this world, no material possessions at all, go with us into the next world. We brought nothing into the world, we're going to take nothing out of the world. You know, it's the old adage that you've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul, right? That you don't, a hearse doesn't pull a U-Haul, you take nothing with you. And the point that I wanted to make in the next kind of step in this is focus on what matters. Focus on what matters. And, uh, you know, this week for me has been... Just a very hard week with Katie's death. 
and, and hearing stories and people talk about Katie and all that her life was about. And in all of the conversations that I've had over this last week, uh, and I've had a lot of them, uh, no one has said, gosh, you know, Katie missed out on getting a brand new iPad. You know, Katie didn't have a car. You know, Katie didn't miss out on having a great you know, wardrobe. Nobody talked about that in Katie's life. Everybody talking about Katie's life, myself included, talked about and talks about what an incredible faith she has. Courageous Katie that battled cancer for a year and had a faith that was vibrant and full till the end. And none of that has to do with stuff. We come into the world with nothing and we leave with nothing. What matters in life is the things that go on for eternity. One of the things that Maddie, excuse me, that Katie and her friend Maddie did is they wrote a blog called Thorns and Roses. And it comes from a quote from Abraham Lincoln that I'd never heard before, uh, before I'd read her blog. And it says this. It says, uh, this is Abraham Lincoln, and they quote this at the beginning of their blog. Uh, she writes, or he writes, Abraham Lincoln says, we can complain because rose bushes have thorns, or we can rejoice because thorn bushes have roses. Isn't that kind of a neat way to look at life? And that was her outlook on life. And so um, what they did is they started this blog to help other teenage girls deal with the difficulties of life. And in the midst of this, Katie is dealing with one of the hardest difficulties that one could ever imagine. And so she wrote this. She wrote, God says we will all have struggles, and he won't let us go through anything we can't handle. He says that we can strengthen our faith and overcome our struggles by looking to him. Isn't that amazing? God is always with us, just like he was always with Jesus on the cross. He loves us and gives such an amazing grace to all. Whatever your situation, we challenge you to find the roses. Look to God, for he is the best rose of all. Rejoice in every square inch of life. The promise that there is always, we promise that there is always a rose. You know, she lived her life focusing on what was eternal, on what mattered, on God and on people. And I share this with you as part of contentment and material contentment. Because the more that we focus on, on the things that are not of this world, the things of God, the less we care, the less we notice about the stuff that we have or we don't have. And that's part of the learning process that we learn to be content because we're focused on the right places, the things that really matter in life, not the things that don't matter, that don't go with us in the next life. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Paul continues in verse 8. It says, But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This verse, it says, um, it says, those who desire to be rich 
fall into temptation. You know, again, if we're honest with ourselves, we probably wouldn't say, I want to be rich. We wouldn't say, I want to earn a million dollars a year. I want to have $5 million or $8 million or $10 million in the bank. I don't want to be rich like that. I just want to be a little bit richer than I am. I just want to have a little bit more. And we think that. We're like, if I had a little bit more, then I would be content. But if that's our attitude, if that's our approach, we're always going to be chasing that. Because, you know, if you're kind of a little bit farther along in life and you think back to your earning when you first graduated from college, right? You graduated from college, maybe you got a job and you earned $35,000 a year, right? And you spent... $35,000 a year, or maybe you spent a little bit more and put it on credit card, right? And then you got a raise, you did well the first year, and you made $37,000 a year. And so then you spent $37,000 a year, and then you got a raise. And every time that we get a raise, you know, our, our income goes up, and then our spending goes up to match it or even exceed it by a little bit. And then we get another raise, and then the spending goes up. And another raise. And every time we get a raise, our lifestyle increases. And so here's the third point that I want to make from these verses, is be aware of lifestyle creep. Be aware of lifestyle creep. That our lifestyle, every time our income goes up, then our spending goes up. And be aware of that. You know, one of the reasons that this happens of lifestyle creep is because we live in what sometimes is called the land of Ur, right? The land of Ur is where you live because you look at the house next to you and it's big Ur. You look at the cars around you that are driven and they are nice Ur, right? You see the vacations that people go on and they go further to other places. And we live in this land of Ur. The person, you know, we know somebody, they have a fast-er phone. Their kids are involved in more activities-er, more well-rounded-er kids, right? You put that er, and we live in the land of er, right? And what that causes us to do is it causes our lifestyle to creep. And we sometimes even end up trying to give our kids and our families and ourselves more because we're trying to keep up. And sometimes we don't even notice it. We just kind of have this lifestyle creep. And part of what it means to be content is to be aware of that, to be aware of that life is creeping all around us. I have a, uh, a confession to make, um, and some of you may be expecting this confession, um, is this morning's message, I plagiarized a lot of this message from a message I gave about three or four years ago. And I did it for a couple of reasons. One, I did it just because I've had a hard week and a lot going on, um, and I needed some help, and so I cheated off myself from four years ago. Uh, But the other is, I looked at this and what I said four years ago, and I'm like, this is still true. We still need this. None of us have arrived at, hey, now we're all content. We need this. I need this. So what was interesting about this is looking back just four years ago and talking about lifestyle creep and contentment and so forth. So when I looked at my message from four years ago, this is almost humorous, at least it is to me, is I had this part of my message about talking about flip phones versus data phones, right? I'm like, do we really need data phones? I mean, we could be content with flip phones. And I mean, we could do a survey in here, and my guess is that 
almost nobody in here has a flip phone. Like everybody has a data phone with a data plan of some sort in here. I'm like, gosh, things have sort of changed, right? And what what made this interesting to me, and this is not the method, the application is not going to be take your data phone and then go get a go get a, a flip phone or a talk and text phone anyway. But what's interesting to me, the observation is this, is how quickly things go from a luxury to a necessity. The things that we think, I can't live without this. You know, four years ago, six years ago, eight years ago. I mean, depending how old you are, 15 years ago, you didn't even have to carry a phone with you everywhere you went. Right now, having a landline is a luxury, Right? It's just things have changed, and I just, again, I'm not saying do this or do that, but what I'm saying is let's think about how we spend money. Let's be intentional. If you want to increase your spending when your income goes up, fine, do that, but do it with some thought. Don't do it just because you live in the land of Ur. Verse 17 says this. It says, me. It says, as for the rich of this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. It says, as for the rich in this present age, I just want to be really clear, as for the rich who he's talking to, he's talking to you. He's talking to me. We may not feel rich. That's because we live in the land of Ur, right? We may not feel rich, but you are rich. Comparatively, you are rich. If you make more than $2,200 a year, you're in the top half of earnings over the world, the world over. If you make more than $61,000 a year, as a household income, you're in the top 10%. If you make, or excuse me, the average income in the U.S. is 360% higher than that around the world. 56% of the world has an income of $730 per year, not per month, per year or less. I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty about being rich. It is where it is. We are who we are and where we are. But here's what I want to say is I want us to say, as for the rich in this present age, I just want to make sure that we listen because that is us. And so what he says following this is for us. First thing he says is charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hope in the uncertainty of riches, but on God. It's because we're rich. Don't be proud of that. You are where you are. I am where I am. Because I was born in America, because God gave me certain skills and ability and work ethic and whatever it is that put you where you are, all of that comes from God. So no matter how much money you have, don't be proud of that. Recognize that that comes from God. And then second is don't put your hope in the money that you have. Put your hope in God. And the richer you are, the easier it is to put your hope in money instead of putting your hope in God. So that's what we're not to do. Verse 18 is what we are to do. They, so the rich, 
that's us, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of what life, of that which is truly life. It says that we are to be uh, good, in, uh, rich in good deeds, and to be generous. And so we're going to put that as the fourth step this morning is give and serve those in need. Give generously and serve those in need. So how does this help with this contentment issue? How does it help to become more content with life by serving and giving to those in need? If you've ever been on a mission trip to a third world country, or you've ever talked to somebody who's been to a third world country, the conversation is say, how was it? What did you learn? What will you take home from it? What will, what's different about your life? You'll hear the same two things, maybe one of these, both of these, but you'll see, hear the same two things over and over and over again from people who have been to countries like that and have come back. The first is this, is you'll say, I was amazed how happy and content the people were even though they had so little. You know, we, I look, you know, my kids have all kinds of stuff. They've got games. There's a ping pong table. They've got video games. They've got a TV with, you know, 150 channels on it. They've got a trampoline. They've got all this stuff, right? And still my kids say, I'm bored. There's nothing to do. I'm like, oh my gosh, right? You look at kids in these countries, in these third world countries, and they're playing with a stick and a rock and a bunch of bags taped together as a soccer ball, and they're content and they're happy. And you look at that and you go, wow, that's amazing there. And why do we lack contentment in the U.S.? The other thing that you'll see, again, if you ask or if you go about people who go to you know, Kenya, Moldova, Haiti, the places that we go at River Ridge, they come back and they say, I'm so thankful for what I have. I'm so thankful for what I have. Because you see the poverty that people live in. You know, they, you see, you know, a six-person family living in a two-bedroom house, and you come back, and you're thankful. That's why Timothy charges them. He says, be rich in good deeds. Be generous. Be ready to share. And one of the things that I do uh, most Thursday afternoons is I go to the Second Avenue Community Center, and I'm a homework buddy there. And I sit at a table with a bunch of restless second and third grade kids, and we do the homework together. But I do that because it speaks to contentment in life. Serving people who are in need helps me to be content with what God has given to me. In terms of giving, Stacy and I, you know, we tithe to River Ridge Church, we give to some other places, but one of the places that we give is Compassion International, is that we sponsor a kid named Baraka in Tanzania. Every month we give $38, which goes to support him and his family and the school that he goes to and the program he's in. Um, and then we get letters about every, uh, probably every quarter or so, and pictures of him. And that generosity reminds us, and hearing his story and looking at his life reminds us to be content with what God has given to us. So here's the application for this morning. Um, and so last week we ended with, hey, everybody write down what you spend money on. This week, it's a little bit different. This is a lot more fun, okay? So you're going to want, if that's what you're like, that does not sound like fun. This is going to be fun. Why don't you keep a list again? Keep it on your phone. Write it down, however you want to do it. Uh, and I want you to keep a list of the things that you don't upgrade to. Keep a list of the things that you didn't buy this week, that you're going to be content 
with what you have. And the fun thing is, you can put that things on that list that you could never afford to buy anyway, right? If you want to. Keep a list. Like, you, you drive by, you know, some, like, stretch Hummer, uh, you know, limo. And you just write, I didn't buy a stretch Hummer limo today, right? You can write that down. You know, it could be you drive past a house like, you know what? We're staying in the house we're bu- that we're in. We're not going to buy that house. Could be as simple as a meal. Say, you know what? I'm going to get pasta instead of steak at this restaurant. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to be content with pasta. I'm going to be content with the phone that I have and not upgrade to a bigger, nicer phone. Go to the grocery store. Say, you know what? I'm going to buy the generic brand instead of the name brand for peanut butter or flour or whatever it is. And just, I chose not to. And just write that down, the things that you're intentionally being content with. Keep a list of that and just to measure your own contentment this week. I want to just come back to one thing that I said, is that this is a process. No one's going to walk at the doors. No one's going to drive off the hill today and go, I'm now content. It's a process. And, And I listed them as one, two, three, four, but it's not really in order. It's look and see where you're content. What are the things that you need to work on that will make the difference in your life? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you that you desire for us to have all of our contentment and all of our satisfaction in you and what you give us. Lord, help us to take those steps today. In Jesus' name, amen.